Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to a Baseball America podcast. Uh, this is a cool cool episode we're doing. We're going to talk to uh, everyone who put together the uh, league top 20s for the short season leagues in this episode. So we're going to talk first to, to Mike Lanana who worked on the New York Penn League. Then we're going to talk to Vince Laris and Asoma, who worked on the New York, uh, sorry, the Northwest League. Uh, then we're going to have a long chat with Bill Mitchell, BA contributor out in Arizona, who was, uh, you know, was able to put together both the Pioneer League and the Arizona Rookie League. Uh, and then I'll talk to Ben Badler about the Gulf Coast League, and then I'll have a, a quick wrap up where I talk about uh, the Appy League, uh, the you know the Tennessee, West Virginia, North Carolina uh, centered uh, league, and you know. Rookie League, the last Rookie League that we're going to talk about. Uh, the reason we're doing this is because the the League Top 20s are rolling out this week. We've been rolling them out all week. Uh, and you can go on BaseballAmerica.com, look at the, the lists of the Top 20 prospects. Uh, you can go look at the chat transcripts. Um, each of us has been chatting about the league uh, that we worked on. Um, and if you're a subscriber, you can go read reports on all of these players. We'll dive into some of the, the specifics on these guys and you know how they ranked and you know what the reason behind their ranking was uh, on the episode today on the podcast. But if you, you want full access, you have to be a subscriber. Uh, and now's a great time to subscribe to BA uh, because we do have the League Top 20s coming out. And before long, it'll be you know Top 10s coming out for each organization. So uh, you can do so for... As little as nine ninety five a month if you just want to get a month. Uh, if you want, you can go to, to BaseballAmerica.com slash subscribe and find a whole bunch of options there. Uh, but with that, uh, we're going to roll right into it. Uh, you know, take a, a quick pause, and then we'll be right into it with Mike Lanana on the New York Penn League. Welcome back to the Baseball America podcast. We're breaking down some short season leagues. This is the only one we're doing in the office. It's it's me and it's, it's Mike Lanana. What's up, Mike? Not much, Hudson. Just chilling in the office with you, man. Chilling. Uh, we're grinding through through Wednesday. We're recording this on on Hump Day. Uh, you're going to be hearing this as early as Friday, but I, I guess you could download it significantly later than that. That not really relevant. We're, we're talking about today is the New York Penn League. Uh, Mike, uh, you were in charge of the ranking the top 20 prospects in the New York Penn League this year. Uh, so, I guess I guess first off, what are your initial impressions of the talent level in the league? Well, from talking to different coaches and scouts, it seemed like the general consensus was the talent was down. Some guys said they thought the arms were down. Some guys said they thought the hitting talent was down. Obviously, it was down. Mm-hmm. It, no one was saying it was better than it has been in years past. But, you know, with that said, you know, there, there were some guys, especially near the top half of this list, that are very intriguing, you know, guys that seem like, you know, definitely seem like future big leaguers and guys that could be impact big leaguers. You know, the back half of the list was a little trickier because you have a lot of first-round guys that, you know, you like the profiles, but they didn't necessarily play all that well this summer. You'd like to see some better stats. So mm-hmm. it, it was kind of a, a, a tricky list to put together just because you got you have to weigh 
their recent performance and also just the things you know about them, you know, going into the draft this June, just as so many of them are recently drafted. Right. Um, and then to that end, the, you know, the, the number one prospect in the league is, is Andrew Benatendi, who rose quickly to the top of draft boards. Uh, you had some, some history with Benintendi. You saw him as an amateur. Um, was he the, the guy you expected to be the number one guy in the league coming in when you started to do the research for it? Yeah, no, that's that's interesting. I mean, he's he's someone who really just, you know, like you said, he, he really just shot onto the radar. You know, uh, I, I think a lot of people didn't realize he's a draft-eligible sophomore in the beginning of the year, and, you know, just all of a sudden you kept hearing his name more and more and more, and you're trying to think, you know, is this guy legit? You know, is his mm-hmm. power legit and all of that? And I was a little wary, you know, having seen him play a bit and having heard, uh, you know, a couple of scouts being lukewarm on him. Um, in college, you know, as far as where to take him in the draft, you know, I, I wasn't really sure what to make of him, but you look at his performance and you, you can't really, uh, you know, deny that he had a, a great professional debut and, you know, he hit 11 home runs, you know, between between the two leagues and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, everyone, every single manager that I talked to, you know, he was one of the first people that they brought up, you know, mm-hmm. and most of them didn't know how to pronounce his last name, you know, <laughs> it, was, it was just like, yeah, you know, that... Uh, that Betamit kid, you know, he, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I don't know. I, I'm assuming they're not talking about Wilson Betamit because I'm pretty yeah. sure he's been out of the league for a while. But <laughs> yeah, you know, I just, everyone, he was, he was the first guy out of, out of coaches mouths and scouts mouths. And, he, you know, he's, you know, he's an interesting guy. He's an interesting package just because he's, he's smaller in stature and you don't really see mm-hmm. a lot of people with his tool set um, and that size, but the, the power seems legitimate just you know, it generates it with the strength in his forearms and his, and his wrists. And, you know, it, it maybe not a guy who's, who's going to be an all-star, but he does just a lot of things well. And there's a lot to like about him as a, as a speedy, you know, but powerful outfielder. The sum of his parts is, is pretty extraordinary when you think about it. Well, you know, nothing about him is, is elite necessarily, but he does it all, does a little bit of everything, doesn't have a major hole. So that, yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense. And then, the, the number two prospect in this league is a, a little bit more of a boomer bust type. Mm-hmm. Uh, still explosive tools, but Victor Robles at number two. Uh, what was co- kind of the process with him in terms of what you heard about him and uh, you know how he compared to you know how far back he is from Benintendi in terms of you know what separated him from one to two? Right. Yeah, he, he's a guy that you know a lot of the coaches that I talked to maybe didn't get the best looks at him at times, and you know depending on what day you saw him, it might have looked worse in other days than others. I mean, he is, he is still very, very young. He's still 18 years old, still very aggressive at the plate. I, I know one manager told me if you, if you throw the rosin, rosin bag hard at him, he's going to swing at it, you know, just <laughs> because he's, he's so aggressive against the fastball, and he could be a little too aggressive on the bases sometimes. But it, uh, it just the, the general sense is it's hard not to, to watch him play and dream on him mm-hmm. a little bit just because he has, you know, he has plus speed. Um, he has the plus arm. You know, he has those tools already, and, you know, he has a knack for the barrel. You know, the power is still developing. It's more line drive power at this point. But, you know, he looks like a guy that has a legitimate five-tool potential. You know, mm-hmm. he, he's a guy, and, you know, you just look at the numbers that he had. I mean, he, he tore up the Gulf Coast League, hit 360, in, in, you know, in 23 games and, you know, kind of forced the national hand, Nationals' hands. And, uh, you know, so, so he's a, a very exciting guy, you know, one of the more exciting players in the league. And, you know, there really are some, you know, exciting young outfielders. In, mm-hmm. the, in this league, you know, a similar guy a little further down the list. I don't know if you're going to bring him up, but uh, Luis Alexander Basabe is, is mm-hmm. a guy that a lot of people brought up who, 
you know, is a little lower on this list. You know, I don't know if the tools are as loud as Victor Robles's, but, you know, he's a guy that was also, you know, very young and, and has, you know, some of those raw talents that you, you like to dream on. Mm-hmm. And, and in terms of, like, the, the New York Penn League in general uh, is generally a, a league that attracts a lot of college talent, a lot of, like, drafted college juniors who go there and kind of can take advantage of some younger players. But when you have a younger player who shows tools and performs a little bit, it kind of excites you a little bit because they, you know, you can dream on that guy, especially since they're competing against players who are older, stronger, more physically mature, for sure. Um, but, I mean, the, you mentioned the outfielders, but it also seems like you got all the SEC shortstops in the <laughs> in the, the New York Penn League this year. Um whether it was Martin or uh, Mikey White, uh, some of those guys who made the list. Uh, just your general thoughts on them. I mean, you you have you you know covering college beat. You have a good history with a lot of these guys. Right. Yeah. No. Uh, Richie Martin was one of those guys I was alluding to earlier. You know, a first rounder who didn't necessarily play up to his ability level and, and how he played in college. You know, the numbers aren't really there for him. He definitely struggled offensively, and you know. Uh, you know, it's, it's a kind of league that can expose a weakness in your swing if, if you have one. And, you know, mm-hmm. I know he, he got off to a hot start, and then there were a couple weeks where he just had nothing. So he, he's an interesting guy, but, you know, I, I think the thing with him is obviously, I mean, this is a small sample size here. Uh, he, he's never really been known as much for the bat as Dansby or Alex Bregman have, um, mm-hmm. but he has the athleticism in the field that you like to see. You know, he has range. And, you know, he does have, he's shown a little pop in the bat. You know, it's not going to be a, a plus tool for him, but he has shown a little pop. He hit six home runs uh, in the spring, and, you know, it's more line drive power, but he has a good batting eye and, you know, above average speed, and he could be a top of the order kind of guy, you know. So he's a guy that, you know, even though the numbers weren't necessarily there, you expect to see better out of, you know, mm-hmm. more out of him next year. And then, you know, with Mikey White, another SEC shortstop, I mean, he's a guy who, you know, another some of his parts kind of guy. You know, right. he doesn't really have, you know, he's pretty average, fringy across the board, you know, but he has plus makeup. You know, mm-hmm. he's, he's very competitive, and he's, you know, uh, out of all the guys, you know, you know, drafted highly, drafted in the first couple of rounds, he, he did the best. I mean, he earned a call up, and, uh, you know, he didn't play shortstop much. He played mostly third base, actually, mm-hmm. um, a little bit second. He's probably a, a future second baseman if he makes it to the next level, second baseman utility player type guy. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he's he's the kind of guy, you know, a grinder. You know, he's got the eye black on. He's gamer. You know, a gamer, you know, yeah. the, the guy the college coaches love, you know. Yeah. So you don't you don't always know how that's going to translate. Mm-hmm. But so far, it's translated with him. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to watch him. Mm-hmm. And you have, towards the back of the list, uh, Kyle Holder, um, who was kind of a – the epitome of a glove first shortstop at this point. Uh, how difficult was he to rank in terms of this league? Just because like the the pro reports on him are divisive. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's the exact word I used in, in my report because mm-hmm. they are divisive, you know. And I had a really hard time, you know, placing him on this list. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is a he is a first rounder. Although some would argue that you know maybe he shouldn't have been a first rounder. You know the the defense. It sounds like most people. The consensus is that you know he's a you know a plus defender. You know, mm-hmm. it sounds like the the grade range is from you know maybe fifty five to, to seventy around that range. But you know some scouts have gone so far to say he's the best cleated shortstop they've ever seen defensively mm-hmm. uh, coming out of San Diego. So it seems like defensively he's fine. He's not the the fastest guy in the world, but his lateral movement and his body control makes up for that. 
Mm-hmm. The bat, I don't even know. You know <laughs> it's the yeah, bat. Yeah. The evaluation on the bat is all over the place, and I don't think anyone really knows at this point. I mean, yeah. depending on who you talk to, some are more optimistic than others. You know, the mm-hmm. Yankees obviously at this point are, are optimistic, or at least you know publicly optimistic about mm-hmm. his bat. Uh, you know, they think he'll be a late bloomer. Um, you know, other scouts are you know don't like the bat speed. You know, well below average yeah, bat speed. Yeah. And, you know, it's he's never going to be. He, he he's never gonna he's not gonna make it to the big leagues because of his bat. Right. That's for sure. If he's gonna make it to the big leagues, he's gonna be a, a Brendan Ryan type player. Yeah. I mean the the variation. I mean, I guess the 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 late bloomer thing would would stem from his history in terms of just not being a full time baseball guy um, right. until later in his in his collegiate career. Um, so there there is something different about him, but you know he'll be he'll be certainly a an interesting one to follow as he kind of tries to climb the ladder here. Yeah. Um, so again, back towards the back of this list, obviously there's, you, you mentioned there's a, a bunch of high ceiling guys up front that can, you can get excited about who, who, who maybe didn't make the list or, you know, some players who were kind of in consideration for the list that kind of excited you. Is there a handful, one or two guys that kind of stick out in your mind as close to the list? Yeah, yeah, there's uh, there's one guy, he's a 13th rounder for the Mets, P.J. Conlon, who, mm-hmm. you know, he, he's a left-hander, he's not going to blow the ball by you, but he had a just a phenomenal summer with the Brooklyn Cyclones, and he didn't give up a, a single earned run, 25, in the 17 innings, he struck out 25 guys, he's, you know, coming out of the bullpen, but, you know, he's 90 to 92, uh, he has great command in the bottom of the zone, and he has a, a plus changeup, you know, just an excellent changeup that he's able to throw in any count. And, you know, he, he's just the kind of guy, I, I think his uh, his manager was saying that he saw maybe one hard-hit ball against him all summer. It was a, a leadoff tri- triple, the batter guessed right, and then he struck out the next three guys on, on ten pitches. So <laughs> so he's a guy who, you know, they're going to work him as a starter. He, he pitched out of the pen this summer just because of the amount of innings that he threw right. in San Diego with teammate of Kyle Holder yeah. at San Diego. Uh, so he was a guy that was in, in consideration for the list, you know, for sure. Um, you know, and, and a few other guys that, you know, have tools but didn't necessarily make it are Austin Rye with the mm-hmm. Red Sox, a, a catching prospect who just had – Really, just an awful summer with the bat. You yeah, know, he was just kind of lost at the plate. So, but he's a guy that will be worth following going forward to see if he can get it together. You know, same kind of deal with Daniel Salters, a, a, another catcher who you know actually did fairly well at the plate and, and showed some progress defensively. But he's another guy to keep an eye on. Uh, mm-hmm. Big physical Dallas Baptist guy. Yeah. Loud tools, loud power. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and then also you know Willie Castro. A shortstop. And, Same team, yeah. Yeah, uh, with the Indians with Mahoning Valley. You know, he's a guy he's still very, very young for the lead. Uh, signed for a huge bonus, over 800000 mm-hmm. Um And, you know, he's a quick-twitch guy. Um, you know, people rated his defense highly. Um, you know, he hit fairly well, I think, around 270 mm-hmm. or, or, or so. He's not going to be, a you know, a power hitter, but he, he's a guy who might be able to, with, with his speed and just, you know, with his defense at short, might be able to stick as a, you know potential backup infielder, maybe even a utility guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's there's a whole bunch of interesting guys. It's at this like I think with any short season level you're gonna have a have a hard time making the list just because there's there's guys like Castro who are hard to really put your finger on when he's you're talking about 17, 18, 19 year old kids who aren't done physically developing and then they're in the same environment with 
you know, 21 and 22 year old men who are physically developed, but maybe not as, you know, as loud in terms of the, uh, the raw tools. Um, but Mike, uh, to give you one, one last question, just kind of any, any final thoughts on doing, on this process, doing the New York Penn league, uh, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up and, and talk to somebody else. Okay. Yeah, no, it was, you know, it it was just kind of fascinating to, you know, to hear the, the, you know, to hear the different takes on some of these draft guys, you know, you know, I think one of the more divisive guys as well as as Kyle Holder was, was DJ Stewart, you know, just because, uh, you know, he's a guy who you look at his college career and, you know, the numbers are excellent. You know, the numbers Mm -hmm. jump out. You won ACC player of the year, sophomore year. He had 15 homers his junior season and, you know, led the country in walks. I think he had 12 more walks than, you know, the, the second highest guy. <laughs> but then you watch him hit and you look at his batting stance and, you know, he's crouched so low to the ground. And I know you've, you've had takes on him in the past. And I know yeah. I know how you feel about him. And, you know, basically, you know, every manager and scout I talk to is, you know, he can't hit the way he's hitting right now. You know, it's not going to last. And you look at the numbers and he, he didn't have a great summer. You know, so he was he was definitely an interesting guy. Uh, you, you know, you kind of wanted to kind of hope to see a little more out of Kevin Newman as well at the plate. Although, Newman. Yeah, Newman. <laughs> yeah. Although he did heat up a little bit near the end. And, uh, you know, two guys that, that I thought were, were kind of interesting guys are very similar in profile were Jalen Jackson and Stone Garrett. Um, Jalen Jackson with the Staten Island Yankees and Stone Garrett. Um, two great the, names. Tomorrow's. Yeah, two great, two great names. And, you know, both guys that are, you know, very physical uh, outfielders, you know, have a lot of raw power to them. Stone Garrett led the league in home runs, and you know he's, you know, both guys strike out a little bit too much. You know, plate discipline is something they need to work on. But um, you know, both guys, you, you ask about some of the more impressive bats in the league, and you know, managers bring them up, you know, pretty quickly. Yeah, Garrett, that's that's a, I think Garrett's an important prospect for the Marlins right now in terms of where their system's at. Um, you know, they, they obviously unloaded a lot of talent to, to try to make the big league club better last summer, or sorry, last winter, um, and didn't quite see the jump that they would have liked to have seen from some of the, the other draft guys they've had recently. And in terms of Kolick, not, not the best year for, for Tyler Kolick. So a very positive thing that they had a good season from Stone Garrett, who's an athlete with some upside and you know, performed. So... Uh, yeah, definitely an interesting guy. Um, Mike, thanks for doing this. We'll uh, we'll check in with you on another podcast soon for sure. Sounds like a plan, Stan. <laughs> Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, now joining us is Vincent Lara. Vince, you covered the the Northwest League this year. Uh, did the top twenty out there? I, I guess just to start us off, what were some of your impressions on the overall talent uh, in the league this year? Yeah, hey Hudson, I think that uh, one of the things that I found in talking with scouts, managers, broadcasters was that uh, there was a real lack of power prospects, and that's of course across the game, but but really it was prominent in the Northwest League, and what it made up for with that is uh, projectable left-handers, that's what I, mm-hmm. those were the, the two takeaways for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I guess we can, you know, we'll get to some of the top guys in the league, but you mentioned those projectable left-handers. Um, you know, in the middle of the list, you have a couple of those Cubs guys in Carson Sands and uh, Justin Steele. What stuck out to the to you about those guys? Yeah, I think I think the things that, that stuck out to me about those guys is that even even with their age, they were surprisingly uh, polished. Uh, especially Steele, who um, 
has not allowed a home run yet as a pro. Uh, you know, it's 50, 59 in the third inning, so it's a bit of a small sample size, but it's still indicative of the uh, the difficulty in listing him. Mm-hmm. Um, and and what also stuck out just in keeping with the Cubs guys is that Eugene had a very deep staff. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had a couple of, um, of Latin pitchers uh, who piggybacked on Steele and Sands uh, and Kyle Twomey uh, and um, were also really impressive. Mm-hmm. That, that's kind of the, the thing about short season leagues and that, that I'm finding, you know, that I found in doing the Appy League and just talked to Mike earlier about doing the New York Penn League. You, you have the opportunity to kind of unearth some guys um, whether it's it's Latin American guys or guys who are kind of steals in the draft who are a little better than the industry maybe realized, who are some guys um, that stick out in your mind as you know intriguing guys who you know whether they made the list or not, just guys who are who have established themselves as legitimate prospects who maybe weren't you know uh, big players on the scene before. Right. Yeah. A couple of guys who stuck out for me were uh, Eniel de los Santos, who pitched for Everett, the, the Mariners farm club, and. He wasn't a guy that I had any knowledge of going in, and a couple of scouts brought him up to me and said, here's a guy you need to take a look at. Um, he was a $15,000 sign last July, July 2014. Wow. And, uh, yeah, he moved quickly uh, to the States because he just has a really easy delivery and a good feel for pitching, even at 19. And um, his stuff wasn't overpowering when he first signed. Obviously, he signed very cheaply. But he got, you know, he, as what happens with some of the Latin players, he got into a, a U.S. training program. His nutrition improved, and he was touching 97 this year. Wow. Um, yeah, so he's one guy. And another guy for me who I, again, I hadn't heard of, a, a Louisiana Tech guy who was the 20th round pick of the Padres this, this July, Phil Mayton, who came in and, and really exploded and uh Ended up having a 58 to five strikeout to walk ratio for Tri City. Um, really, yeah, really polished guy. Fastball was up to 94. Is um, is probably a, a reliever, you know, but um, and and was a reliever for Tri City. But it's just a interesting guy. Very, he has a, a real deception. And I think one manager I spoke to said that the the, the ball really has late life and tail kind of explodes just as it gets to the uh, to the plate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the, the you know relievers though in the you know in this uh, in the short season league you know I guess there's not a, a great track record for guys who are relievers at that level. Um, but who are who, I mean, who are some guys who are maybe you know weren't relievers but kind of project more as relievers or guys who are starters who didn't quite make the list you know might have another tick if they they do end up in the bullpen. Anybody like that kind of stick out to you? Well, I think um, as far as uh, – I, I think the, the way I would look at it with that is uh, a guy who, who – I'll come at it this way. A guy who relieved but will start. How about, how about that? Right. Um, Taylor Clark, who was the um, Colonial Athletic Pitcher of the Year this year, um, had a fantastic season for College of Charleston, and he pitched a lot of innings, so the Diamondbacks put him in the pen, and he was absolutely dominant. Uh, he pitched 23 – innings without allowing a run, uh, struck out 27, walked four, and the way a manager put it to me was he was a guy who was pitching as though he knew he shouldn't be in this league and he wasn't happy about it. <laughs> and so uh, 
but the, the long-term plan for him is to be a starter, and so um, he's a guy who kind of sticks out as a as a as a pitcher who went in dominated as you as you would think he would in that league in, in relief in a short you know in short bursts. Mm-hmm. But they definitely see enough in him and enough pitch mix to uh, to be a starting pitcher. Yeah, I mean he's just so interesting because even as a starter in the spring at Charleston, the big thing for him was command. I mean it's command with stuff though. Um, mm-hmm. you know, he's a big physical guy, and that, that's an exciting start to his pro career for sure. Um, yeah, the he's, he's also he's also really interesting, uh, Hudson, in that he has Bell's palsy, and so it's while it doesn't affect his play on the field, you know, it's certainly something for him that he has to deal with, and it's a you know, it's basically the facial muscles are uh, are um, atro- not actually, but um, he has. Uh, some weakness, and so it looks like he's constantly in a frown. Mm-hmm. But he's a super kid, and, and uh, he's a guy you you root for for sure. Hmm. That that's interesting. The, he's he's going to be a, a fun one to follow for sure. Mm-hmm. To see how mm-hmm. he, you know, once they they have him fully rested, you know, kind of take the reins off a little bit next year when he gets into full season ball, for sure. Uh, right. But you know, a teammate of his, uh, the guy who tops the list is. Uh, he's the name that that I think a lot of people want to talk about. Uh, Dansby Swanson, the, the first overall pick in the draft, uh, a solid start to his pro career. Was he was he easy to rank as as, as the number one prospect in the league just because of the pedigree, the track record, and the tools as well? I, I think so. I mean, you know, ultimately it came down to him and Half, and I had had Half originally. You know, there were several iterations, as you know, you go through this several iterations of the list. Mm-hmm. And um, I originally had half higher, and um, and then in talking to, to scouts and managers, the the thing that I think pushed him over the top for me is just his makeup is just so off the charts. He is the kind of kid who is already a top step guy, um, tremendous intensity, uh, did not Cadillac it when he came in as a number one pick, mm-hmm. and um, the the fact that he got hit in the face. An intra squad by Yohan Lopez, a fastball, was concussed and came back and still played that well and had, had some key hits in the in the Northwest League Championship Series. Um, really shows a lot about who he is because he could have certainly shut it down and I'm, and I'm sure the, the, the D-backs would have been okay with that mm-hmm. um, considering the long, long season he had. Um, and yet he didn't even do any of that. I mean, he was still playing... And I'm pretty sure he scored the winning run, the go-ahead run in the, the championship game. So uh, mm-hmm. speaks a lot to who he is as a kid and as a player. And I got lucky enough to see him in the Super Regional, and um, there was no uh, put-on. I mean, he is a legitimately good leader and kid. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I remember when Vanderbilt was, was down in Columbia uh, playing South Carolina in the spring, you know, I sat down with, with Danji Swanson for about a half hour or 45 minutes and just basically talked through, you know, his, his career to date at that point. And, and one of the things that stuck out to me was, you know, you know, people tell you, oh, I want to go high in the draft or I want to go, my goal is to, you know, to win here and then, you know, worry about everything later. But this, this guy was... You know, first off, he said, oh, "We're going to win a national championship. Oh, that's my biggest goal: is winning a national championship." And ultimately, my long-term career goal is I want to be in the Hall of Fame. 
you know, mm-hmm. so he's, he's not, you know, he wasn't, wasn't necessarily worried about the draft or, or any of that. He was, I want to be in the Hall of Fame. That's, and, and, you know, everybody around him has nothing but good things to say for sure. Um, mm-hmm. So, yes. so, I mean, I guess in terms of, um, we can kind of get towards wrapping, wrapping this up, but, um, you know, any final thoughts on, on the league, anybody who we haven't discussed yet that you'd really like to, you know, give some love to. Yeah, I think uh, for me, Chris Shaw is a, is a favorite. Um, mm-hmm. He is a guy who um, had, I think his, he would have gone higher in the draft had he not broken his hammock in April. I think that really slowed his trajectory. Um, he's a, a guy who has power in a league that doesn't have power in, in, in a game that lacks power. Um, he came right in and uh, he had 12 homers, you know, in less than 200 at bats. Um, and he, the only question mark for Chris is he is the first baseman. You know, the, the Giants are trying him in the outfield and instructs. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, he's a guy who's going to be positionally limited, and so he's going to have to continue to hit. Uh, but he's a guy that I, I really, uh, I will be following him absolutely. And I think another guy who is on the other side of the scale on this is John Harris, who, of course, mm-hmm. had a fantastic season at Missouri State, um, really put that team on his back along with Matt Hall and had a, a, a putrid time in the NWL. And so I went in with the expectation of not ranking him despite his draft status. Mm-hmm. And I talked to a manager near the end of the process, and he said, this guy needs to be in the list. He is absolutely filthy. And he used the word filthy twice. Hmm. Uh, good movement, good arm side run, hit 95, you know, it just could be a matter that he was fatigued after a long season. So um, two interesting cases and two guys that, that are that are worth following out of the league. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, I had some conversations about, you know, with with some people who have been on the Blue Jays in general. And, you know, the the thing is with that team, they traded all those pitching prospects at the deadline. And then you go look at who what they have left in the system. It's still pretty good. I mean, mm-hmm. with with Harris, right. the, you know, the first round kind of guy this year. And then you, you just look through some of their rosters, and you have a, a Sean Reed Foley. Sean Reed Foley. That's the guy I was going to bring out there. You know, mm-hmm. they maintain some polish and some some high ceiling guys despite trading a ton of guys. It's it's a very interesting system in terms of how they procure pitching talent and develop it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that's part of the reason why I, I ranked him, even though he's far down on the list, I, I think it was still important to get him in there. And I think he, uh, you'll see a different guy next year um, as he moves up. Mm-hmm. Well, Vince, uh, we'd love to, to thank you for, for joining us and, and doing the podcast and, and going over some of these guys with you. Yeah, thanks, Hudson. This was fun. Awesome. We'll take a break and come back with another, uh, another breakdown of another one of these lists. Welcome back to the Baseball America podcast. Joining us now is Bill Mitchell, Baseball America contributor uh, out in Tempe, Arizona. Bill, how's it going? Very well. It's very well. It's instructional league, and I'm busy out in the ballpark or out in the ball field every day. Yeah, it's it's before we started recording. Bill and I were just talking about you know how he was able to get eyes on on most of the the players in who made his his Arizona league list. Going to get eyes on the, the last guy today. Um, but we're going to start things off with, with the Pioneer League. Um, 
Bill, the the top prospect in the league, Brendan Rodgers. Uh, you know, obviously, you know he was very high on in our rankings. He was the number one prospect in the draft uh, for us. Uh, what was the the impressions that you, you know that you had of his pro debut? I got to see two games with Rodgers this summer. I was in Grand Junction for two games against Billings, so I got to see the top two guys, Rodgers and Stevenson, in the same same weekend. Mm-hmm. And Rodgers was very impressive for me. I ended the day or ended the trip with a he had a five hit game, and in his sixth at bat he hit a ball to the warning track. So he almost went six for six in that game. Came away very impressed. He really had an up-and-down season. He was in and out of the lineup a lot and really was never in the best of shape and had a lot of nagging injuries. So there's still a lot we don't know about Brendan Rodgers and his future and what will result, but there's certainly the talent is there. Mm-hmm. And and one thing that, that comes up in the write-up is – uh, you know, and and for those who are listening, you can read the full report on baseballamerica.com. Uh, but the the write up kind of talks about his his energy level, um, and so basically, with, with a player who who makes plays look easy, um, it, it's difficult to really tell if to, you know to really understand where their energy level's at. Um, what was your gauge on on kind of his his makeup in terms of? You know how he carried himself and conducted himself. You know, as a, a high school player in in that league. What I saw, I looked fine. I get to the ballpark early, and uh, Grand Junction does not have a rookie level team, so they have way too, or excuse me, a complex level team. So they have way too many players there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do a lot of workouts before the game uh, just to get everyone in a groove and. I uh, get everybody enough work, and from what I could see, uh, his it was fine. But I did talk to scouts who said they didn't always see the extra effort that he looked tired. He did have, as I said, he did have some nagging injuries that mm-hmm. uh, he hadn't come into camp in the best physical condition, and that contributed to that. So uh, I think with young kids, everybody faces their first season of pro ball a little bit differently. Everybody approaches it differently. And they go through a lot with the draft and a lot of the exhilaration and excitement. And I think we give Rodgers, as far as his makeup, we, we wait and see how he looks next year. Right. And give him a mulligan for the first year. Right. It's it's a it's a big transition. Uh, it's, I mean, to be 18, 19 years old and – you know, for one thing, I mean, his season, his high school season ended so much earlier than the draft to begin with. And then, okay, here you are, move from, you know, from Florida, from Central Florida to the middle of, you know, <laughs> you know, out to the play in the Pioneer League. And you, you kind of have to grow up quickly. So it's it's definitely a difficult transition. Um, but, you know, another guy who's who was doing something similar uh, who's the number two prospect on the list is Tyler Stevenson. And, you know, this is a, a big physical guy, you know, who has some, some pop in the bat and is just surprisingly nimble. You know, moves pretty well, has some good athleticism. Uh, you know, what was your, your takeaway from Stevenson? When I first got to Grand Junction and the Billings team came to the ballpark for batting practice, and I'm well acquainted with our manager, Dick Schofield. I've known Dick for quite a few years, so I was talking to him. And Stevenson came walking up, and I had read 
the scouting reporting Stevens. I knew Stevenson. I knew he was a big guy, but he walked up and I thought, wow, this kid's a beast. <laughs> uh, and Dick introduced me to him. And I had thought all along when he first got drafted, I thought, good, he'll be in the Arizona League. He'll be one of my candidates for the top prospect in the Arizona League. Yeah, I can see why they challenged him and put him in, in Billings in the slightly more advanced Pioneer League. Uh, the kid, uh, put it simply, he is beast. <laughs> and when I talked to Dick Stofield about him, he said he's going to get bigger. He's still got man muscles to develop. And, you know, so it'll be interesting to see where he goes. Now, granted, if he gets too big and loses some of that flexibility behind the plate, you know, maybe he doesn't stay behind the plate. Or some scouts would already say that uh, they think he could wind up at first base or left field. But time will tell on that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's still a lot of raw power he hasn't tapped into yet. So there's still development for Stevenson, but I think the first season, to take a kid like that and put him in, catching him probably 75% of the games in a league like the Pioneer League, I think that's a big tribute to the fact that he did as well as he did, and he's a, a good teammate, he's good in the field, he's already a leader. Uh, I, I'm high on Tyler Stevenson. Mm-hmm. And and then you mean the the uh, a kind of very different um, player at number three, a guy who's uh, who's not just not a draft guy this year, but a draft guy last year. The the league MVP, just a guy who mashed, uh, Isan Diaz. Uh, what were your impressions of him? I mean, obviously, you know, coming out of high school, he's a, a bat first prospect, um, shortstop, second base type. Um, defensively, you know, where's he at at this point? Um, and, and kind of what was the, the thinking behind, you know, having him third and, and having him behind those two guys who were drafted, you know, significantly higher this year? I didn't get to see him with Missoula. I didn't see the Missoula team, but I, I got to see a lot of his on Diaz last year when he was in the Arizona League. My impression then was he was better defensively than I expected. Right. A lot will depend on whether... He loses any of his quickness. Uh, he may have to move to second base ultimately. But right now I think he's fine at shortstop. Uh, the bat just really came alive this year. And I, I've talked to a lot of people. i talked to coaches here in Arizona who had worked with him in, a, in extended spring training. And just the other day I was speaking with uh, Chris Crone, the Diamondbacks minor league hitting coordinator. And everyone points back to how confident, how much confidence he gained here. Again, last year he came into pro ball, like we talked with Rogers. Everybody adapts to pro ball differently. And he came in, here he was a bat first infielder, according to his draft report, and he really struggled with the bat. Uh, he made some mechanical just adjustments this year, got off to a good start, and they just said that his confidence just kept building and building and building, and that really helped him. Mm-hmm. He's an, an exciting prospect in terms of up-the-middle player, I, I mean, I, at least the sense that I get is, you know, even if he's, he's in a shortstop long-term, he has a good chance to stick at second. Is, is, do you more or less agree with that? Oh, yes, definitely. Yeah, uh, so, I mean, with the, the explosiveness of the bat, you know, he hit 360. I mean, it, it's obviously, it's a, you know, it's a, a good offensive environment to begin with, uh, but 360 is 360, and especially at 19, you know, for a, a high school player kind of, who would have otherwise been, you know, wrapping up his summer after his freshman year. So an impressive an impressive season from Diaz. 
but but Bill, I wanted to kind of shift the conversation a little bit. Who are some of the guys maybe towards the back end of this list um, that really excited you, and uh, maybe not some you know maybe not necessarily the highest profile guys, but guys who you heard about and were really excited about in terms of putting this list together. There were a few guys that just missed the list. There was one, uh, Brendan Sanger, was an outfielder from mm-hmm. Orem with the Angels. He uh, came out of Florida Atlantic. He was a fourth-round pick. And he, you take a look at his stats. First half of the season, he was still getting adjusted to pro ball. Uh, second half, he just took off. And the staff at Orem just was really pleased uh, he drew 45 walks and 270 plate appearances and really plays hard. Uh, according to his manager, he plays with an all-or-nothing approach, a really hard-nosed guy. So he certainly won. You know, His profile long-term may only be as a fourth outfielder, but he's certainly an interesting guy, especially if you like the, guy, if you like the grinder types that, that leave it all out on the field. Then uh, keep an eye on Brendan Sanger. Mm-hmm. Another guy that really was tough to leave off, but it's hard to tell what he's going to do is uh, because of his all-or-nothing all or nothing approach to the plate is Jonathan Perron, a 20-year-old second baseman who can also play shortstop. He was with the Grand Junction team with, uh, in the Rockies organization, native of the uh, Dominican Republic. He hit 11 home runs. Anytime you can get that kind of production in a short-season league, that kind of power from a middle infielder, you've got to take notice, but... He struck out a lot. He didn't walk much. He uh, really, uh, he's, you know, he's a good defender, but uh, he goes up to the plate looking to swing at every pitch. Uh, I kind of got some Vladimir Guerrero comps and going up and trying to hit everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly not, don't get me wrong, not anywhere near the kind of hitter, but that kind of approach, like I'm going to go to the plate and, and try to hit everything. That was the case with Perron. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, and, and just in terms of, like, isolated slugging percentage. I mean, you, just, you look at him, 545 slugging, 312 batting average. That, I mean, that's that's some serious power. You, you mentioned the home runs, but also five triples and 11 doubles. That's that's a, a lot of tr- uh, tr- true outcomes, too, when you think about 56 strikeouts and 245 plate appearances. So an, an interesting profile there for sure. Um Bill, before we move on to the to the Arizona League, um, who are some of the more exciting pitching prospects in the the Pioneer League? Well, the guy who's was like the top on the list as far as pitchers in that league, and uh, I that was pretty much unanimous in talking to scouts and other managers is Marcos Diplom, mm-hmm. the Brewers' right-hander. He was with Helena. Originally signed with the Rangers, but uh, before he even made his debut in the States, after a year in the Dominican Summer League, he was included in the Giovanni Gallardo trade when Gallardo went from the Brewers to the Rangers. He's 18 years old. Uh, they skipped him over the Arizona League, put him in the in the Pioneer League, and he did very well. He's um, a, a smallish. He's listed at six foot, 160 pounds. Uh, Dominican right-hander, so guess who he gets comp to? Everybody, uh, every smaller Dominican pitcher gets comp to Pedro Martinez, and I got that mm-hmm. comp in talking to somebody this year. But he's got a lot of savvy and poise on the mound, and 
he's already he's been up to as high as ninety eight this year. And if he gets stronger, who you know, who knows where, where he's gonna go. So he's certainly one to watch. The other guy that uh really stood out for how good a pitcher he was at that age at, at eighteen was uh, Peter Lambert, mm-hmm. who was uh drafted by the Rockies in the second round out of uh high school in California. Uh, he went in, and you would think an 18-year-old going into a league like the Pioneer League, you know, a good hitters league, a lot of college players that they would be intimidated. Now, Lambert went out the mound every time and just uh, uh, just really did it. I, I like the quote that I got from Grand Junction's manager, Anthony Sanders. He said he just has that it factor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And again, uh, 18-year-old kid, 6'2", 185, he's got a projectable build. Uh, he's should be able to add velocity. He was up. He usually sat 88 to 92. It was up to 95. So those are the two best pitchers and the ones that I really uh, like the most and really see the most out of. Mm-hmm. Now, this is both interesting guys and and kind of one you know one theme I notice of it, of of this and maybe it's not necessarily a theme so much as it you know, just was you know them not having a uh, an Arizona League team was the the Rockies guys in this league. Uh, it looks like what these three guys in the top ten and four in the top twenty. Um, was that the most exciting team, the Grand Junction team? From the standpoint of uh, young prospects, because the Rockies had a lot of extra draft picks at the top, and they went for high school pitcher or high school players on every pick. You had Rogers, Mike Nickerack, and the later in, in the first round. Tyler Nevin was the first compensation A pick, and then uh, Lambert, we just talked about, and then third rounder Javier Medina, who was a kid out of Tucson, uh, native of Arcio, Mexico, but uh, came to the States to further his baseball career. Uh, didn't get to pitch much in high school because of citizenship issues, but uh, we had him at 20th on the list, and he's one to watch too. Uh, an interesting kid. I saw him. During some showcases uh, around Arizona, mm-hmm. and uh, he just really stands out for how well he can uh, his pitchability for that age. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's it's an interesting group. I mean, even when you look at, um, you know, I guess Parker French was there, and um, Trey Killian was there. You know, kind of more of the not not in that high school super projectable build, mold, but you know, interesting guys in their own right. Um, but Nicarak is actually an interesting example. I mean, because you know, in terms of raw ceiling, you know, his is his is up there. But the the results, uh, you know, and and you, we talked about it with Rogers and and some of the other players in the league making that transition from high school to pro ball. You know, his results were, I mean, about as bad as they could have been. Um, what was the the you know the read you had on on Mike Nicarak? From scouts I talked to and also people in the Grand Junction staff, he just it never came together for him. And one scout saw him, I think, his first game, and he came out first inning fine, but then his release point changed and his velocity dropped in the second inning. And he, I don't know that there were many games that he got out of the second inning or certainly passed the second inning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he quickly lost his confidence and... It was just a rough season for the kid, and you hope that he can get a little work in the instructional league and a more controlled environment 
uh, take the winter off and then come in strong during uh, spring training because he certainly got the physicality and uh, he had the arsenal. But he came out of a small high school mm-hmm. or smaller high school in, in Pennsylvania, not one of the urban areas. And to put a kid like that into a Pioneer League, that's, again, and I, I, I stress, that's where he would have been better suited to, at a complex level with like the Arizona League. Right, right. And, you know, it's it's um, it's not not what you want when you in terms of, you know, what you look for in a, a pro debut, but still plenty of time. And, and kind of think that that's what the the understanding of of Mike Nickerak was, you know, in you know, when the draft was approaching, it was, you know, this guy in the first inning, you know, he might show you 95, 96, um, you know, with a, a pretty good breaking ball at times. But, you know, it's going to be a, a project. There's, you know, deeper into games, is he going to be able to hold up, you know, stuff-wise. Um, but you, you mentioned that he would be, you know, a guy who would be a better fit for the complex league. So so let's move on, I guess, to to the Arizona League. Um, the, the first thing, you know, when I, when I look at the list that sticks out to me, it, and you know, just at least one thing is that the Brewers have three of the top five prospects in the league. At number five, Demi Arimaloy. At number three, Gilbert Lara. And number one, Trent Clark. Um, so were the were the Brewers the the most exciting team in that league, just from a prospect Ab- standpoint? Absolutely. Uh, when I, for opening night, I thought, okay, which team am I going to go to see? And it, of course, it had to be Brewers. Uh, Ormeloy wasn't playing yet. He had to wait a couple of weeks until he got the citizenship issues resolved with work visas because he's from Canada. But uh, mm-hmm. to go out and see Trent Clark and Gilbert Lara right away, uh, yeah, they were definitely the uh, team to see this summer in the Arizona League. Mm-hmm. And and Clark, uh, you know, earlier on the podcast, um, you know, I was talking with Vince Lara Sinisomo about how. Dansby Swanson had been hit in the face with a pitch and, you know, came back from it. And, you know, even after this long season had, you know, said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to be on the field. I'm going to show people what I can do that I deserve to be here. Clark, you know, not the same exact thing, but, you know, he runs into the wall going all out full speed, concussed, misses two weeks, and then comes back and, and proves himself. What was the the kind of sense of uh, you know of his makeup? Obviously, that's that's a testament to to some kind of gamer mentality. I got to know Trent uh, a little bit during the season. Uh, just a, a great, great individual. Uh, it's a little cliche to say that his makeup was off the charts, but I'll, I'll use that in his case. Uh, mm-hmm. Just a, a really good ball player, good solid ball player. At the beginning of the year, I don't know that I viewed him or anybody viewed him as a potential top prospect in the league because he's not flashy. He's one of these players that you just see over and over, and they grow on you, and they continue to grow on you. And you see that he's always going to be able to play above his tools and that he brings a leadership to the field and that he will he'll, – he'll be in the big leagues. I, that, to me, that's his – his floor, but he'll he'll make the big leagues. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got enough talent, and he's just. Uh, let me give you an example. AJ Pollock. I remember a number of years ago doing the um, Diamondbacks top list, and I don't think I ever had Pollock 
that high. He was usually towards the back end of the top ten. Scouts would say, well, there's no tool that's above average. Uh, scouts that liked him said it's makeup. Look what A.J. Pollock has turned into. Uh, now, right. I'm not saying that's uh, the path that Clark's turned to take, but I see I see some similarities there that mm-hmm. uh, the makeup can carry a guy like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's certainly, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer in makeup, and, and I think that most people in the game would tell you that it's a difference maker. Um, you know, it, it helps, you know, in terms of when players actually learn how to use their tools um, and get the most out of their tools, makeup plays a big part in, in terms of, you know, how that manifests, how tools manifest themselves. Um, but but to, to move on a little bit, um, pitching prospects are solid in this league. Uh, it looks like five or six or maybe seven in the top ten Um who are some of the, the exciting pitching prospects uh, for you in the Arizona League? Well, Dylan Cease, who we ranked number two, mm-hmm. certainly um, he kind of broke the mold in what I always thought of Tommy John. Uh, somebody coming out Tommy John surgery would do. I saw him in extended spring training less than a year, probably about 10 months after Tommy John, and the command wasn't back. The command's still not back. Yet, uh, 10 months after surgery, he was at 98, 99. I've even heard that he's touched 100 uh, at times during the summer. So certainly a pitcher like that. Then uh, there's still risk of injury. There's risk of that the command never comes back enough that he winds up in bullpen. But uh, anytime you have a guy like Cease who is consistently hitting the, the high 90s, it's, it's exciting to watch somebody like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also had Phil Bickford, who his story is well known as far as his first-round draft status in, out of high school. We went to Fullerton for a year and then left there and wound up at uh, in the junior college, College of Southern Nevada. Mm-hmm. And he came in, uh, and at first he wasn't that impressive. Uh, his command was all keeping in mind that his season started back in January, probably. Yeah. Uh, his junior college gets started before NCAA. I know I saw him in early February. It was one of his first games. Uh, uh, they came through and played at South Mountain Community College. I think he lost that game. I think that was the only loss he had during his JUCO season. Mm-hmm. But uh, he knows how to pitch. He gets uh, uh, the most out of everything. His fastball gets on hitters quickly, uh, plays well. I, some people were disappointed because they think of that high 90s velocity that he had in the Cape where he was pitching out of the bullpen. Mm-hmm. And here he would usually sit more around the 90 to 93 range. But uh, the slider looks like a plus pitch, and he hasn't had to use the change that much, but I, I think it will come along. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was impressive with pitching in this league this year is how many of the depth of pitching. And aside from Cease and Bickford, most of the guys project as back-end type starters, but there were just a plethora of uh, pitchers, and there were another four or five that uh, were in contention for the back-end of the list that didn't make it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, so to quickly go over some of those guys, you know, in the back uh, of the list, I mean, the number 17, uh, Antonio Santillon, uh, the Reds prospect, This this is a guy who... 
you know, the, the hype on him in the draft was pretty good. There were some people who were like, I love this guy. If he throws strikes, he's a monster. Um, was that more or less the sense that you got on Santillon? Exactly. Uh, he's got a fastball up to about 98. Uh, he's a big kid. I, From what I had read on the scouting report, I thought he was going to be out of shape. But no, he's in pretty good physical condition. He looks somewhat athletic. Uh, a lot of scouts still believe that uh, he'll wind up as a power arm in the bullpen. Mm-hmm. But uh, it depends on whether the third pitch comes along and uh, uh, that he gets the delivery refined. But uh, also, I liked his makeup, too. Uh, just uh, really, I, I met him early. I needed photos of him before he was ready to pitch. And I arranged for him to come out one night uh, before a game in uniform. And, you know, once a when they're not playing yet, they don't have to put on the uniform. Uh, the, the pitchers come out in t-shirt and shorts. And but uh, he got into full uniform and went on a side field with me and went through every pitching motion that I could get uh, captured on photos. And just really nice kid. A big smile every time you'd see him. And uh, mm-hmm. I like him. There was another kid on the red staff who was just uh, one of our last cuts. I, I think we probably had him 21st. Was uh, Ian Kalaloa. 17 mm-hmm. years old out of Hawaii, uh, pitched very well. He would have made the list uh, if we'd gone, like I said, 21. Uh, not quite as projectable as some of the other pitchers, and I think that's why we went with Dylan Thompson at the 20th slot instead of Kalaloa. But uh, certainly interesting. They took him in the fifth round, and I think there is some injury issues. There's some There were issues that caused his bonus to be dropped a little bit, but... Uh, I like Calvo. He looked interesting. Knew how to pitch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess um, I'm going to actually backpedal a little bit just to go to go over some of these these top guys um, because it, it does seem like an interesting group at the back. But you know, when you look at the the front end of this list, the the Nick Neederts, the Jacob Nicks, you know, the uh, Dakota Chalmers, you know, big time draft prospects. Um, it, who of the, those guys, I mean, kind of, I mean, in terms of just raw ceiling, I guess, in, in terms of the top group there, who kind of sticks out to you in terms of who could be, if everything comes together, who's who's the monster? I'm going to go away from the three guys you just mentioned. who We, we have a lot on because of their draft reports. Uh, I, I like Chalmers a lot. I like uh, Nick's. He didn't do quite as well here, but again, it's his first year. Uh, and you mentioned Niter, but uh, a guy named Gerson Garabito, mm-hmm. a Dominican pitcher for the Royals. Uh, take a look at the history of uh, some of the Dominican pitchers that, uh, or Latin pitchers, I should say, that the Royals have developed. Uh, Garabito could be the next one in that line. He, he's not going to have the big velocity that Jordano Ventura or Kelvin Herrera had, but uh, he knows how to pitch and. He's going to. Uh, he's, he's he's got a frame that can put on some weight, and uh, he, he throws strikes, and that's uh, nice to see it at some of that age that they go out there and throw the strikes. Mm-hmm. And and you know at at that age, um, you know he's he's 20 years old at this point. Um, you know there's there's a couple ways in terms of looking at at projection. Um, you know you you mentioned in your write up, hey, this is a guy who's you know. In the, sitting in the low 90s now, up to 95, uh, but you know, still pretty young. 
And, you know, what about him is projectable to you? Is it the body? Is it the arm action? You know, kind of what what are you looking for in him to kind of really that makes you dream on him a little bit? I think a lot more with him is his pitchability. Uh, her mm-hmm. curveball got better. I think he's uh, he's got a good delivery. I think uh, he's going to be more the complete package of pitchers. Uh, again, he's not going to stand out for a hundred mile per hour fastball like uh, Ventura did from that size. And he, he's bigger than Ventura uh, is, but uh, you know, it's just it, it's a whole package with him mm-hmm. is what I feel with, with Garabito. He yeah, he'll probably add a little volume, velocity. Uh, the secondary pitch a little bit better, but I think just the complete package. Mm-hmm. It'll be an interesting one to follow in the the Royal system, a, a system that has you know a handful of pretty good arms at the lower levels uh, at this point. Uh, but Bill, I kind of wanted to just give you you know one more opportunity to kind of talk about you know the, uh, the ranking this league in general impressions you had from putting the, the list together this year. Uh, just kind of general thoughts. Well, I always find it interesting in doing the both the Arizona and Pioneer League uh, list because I have to take a slightly different approach to each one. Um, Arizona League, there are 14 teams. You play an unbound schedule. So managers don't get to see all the opposing players. Uh, fortunately, it's a heavily scouted league uh, because you know, a lot of scouts live in the Phoenix area. Teams have their, uh, their training complexes here. So they, we get a lot of scouts out. So I rely more on scouts in helping me put together the list. Uh, you know, I'll talk to the managers about their individual players and get some input on other players uh, or guys from other teams. But uh, I need to rely on scouts for Pioneer League is just the opposite, where with eight teams, they're playing four-game series, they're in stadiums, the names are being announced. Uh, chances are that players have their names in the back of their uniforms the opposing managers are more familiar with the other players. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't get as many scouts because the Pioneer League is uh, is very spread out and uh, much harder to scout for. You know, a scout here in Arizona can uh, go and see every team and, and be at home every night uh, if they live here. Right. Where Pioneer League, you're you're out on the road and you're it's it's from Montana to. Utah to Idaho and to Colorado, it covers a lot of territory. So in putting together a Pioneer League list, I'm relying more on input from the managers. Uh, so it's in, just a little different, and uh, it makes it interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, to, to that end, the, the Pioneer League, with everything being so spread out, I mean, it seems like it's, you know, I, I would assume not every team scouts that league. Um, but also, like the in terms of just devoting resources to it, it's an expensive league to cover with everything being, you know, all over the place. Um, but you 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 got up to the Pioneer League quite a bit, or at least a little bit this summer, didn't you? Yeah, not as much as in past years. I got to Orem for one game. I, Orem and Auburn tied it into a PCL trip. That's the nice thing about uh, going to Utah. You've got uh, within. 45 minutes of Salt Lake, you've got a Triple A team and then two Pioneer League teams. So I mm-hmm. did get to see the two Utah-based teams. And then before I mentioned, I spent two days in Grand Junction, seeing Grand Junctions and, and Billings. So um, that was usually I try to do a little more, but uh, 
just like you, I spent a, a week in Long Beach for the area code games, and I also did the uh, perfect game, All-American game in San Diego. So I, I spent a little more time doing some of the high school showcases. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully next year I can get back and do a little more Pioneer League. I still have this dream. I've never set foot in the state of Montana, and I hear it's a beautiful place, and my dream <laughs> someday is to just go up there and drive across the state, uh, back and forth across the state, and try to hit uh, – all four ballparks in Montana, maybe next summer. That would be awesome. I've always wanted to go up there just because it's, uh, it's a different world. Um, you know, it's just something I've never experienced before. But, uh, but Bill, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, everyone listening, you, you can check out the lists on BaseballAmerica.com. Uh, full reports for subscribers. Uh, you can follow Bill on Twitter at BillAZBBPhotog. Is, is that... Is that right, Bill? Did I do that right? You've got it. you got it exactly right. Hudson. It's, Thank it, you. It's not Bill as <laughs> um, All right. Well, Bill, thanks so much for doing this. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and come back with uh, Ben Battler and a Gulf Coast League chat. Thank you, Hudson. Goodbye. Uh, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, now we're going to do our, our final league. We're going to look at the Gulf Coast League with Ben Battler. Uh, ben, how's it going? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Nothing. How about you? Doing well. Can't complain. It's uh, it's always fun to to do this kind of league, and you know we've talked about it with with some of the other guys. Just uh, the the process and the the kind of the mechanics of putting together a rookie league list. Um, you know, kind of having to to balance you know previous reports and also some performance. And you know, for you in particular, the Gulf Coast League is exciting. It seems that you have. A lot of first-round talent, and then you know at the top you have a couple of Latin American players who who really impressed. Uh, so I guess if we could just start off, uh, you know, with going over that initial group, uh, Anderson Espinoza. Um, what sticks out in your mind about him, and what you know, what was it about him that made him the clear number one guy in the league for you? Yeah, I think just about everything sticks <laughs> out about him. There's not uh, you know for a 17 year old pitching prospect, there's not much you can really poke too many holes into. I mean, there's not much more you can ask for from uh, a pitcher at, at that age. I mean, this is a guy who was the number one international pitching prospect on the market uh, last year when he was a uh, 16-year-old kid out of Venezuela who was up to 93-94, flashed a, you know, a good curveball that he could project as a future plus pitch and you know, didn't really have much of a changeup at that point, although you could look at his, you know, big hands and, and long fingers and, and project that pitch just, just based on the physicality, uh, some of the physical indicators that it, it would come. Uh, and he had, you know, really good feel for pitching and a pretty free and easy delivery at the time, too. And, you know, he's, he's you know, listed at, at six feet, whether he's six feet or 5'10, 5'11, uh, you know, depends on uh, who you talk to, but, uh, not the most uh, physical or, or not the tallest guy, but even even back then when he was 16 and when he signed, uh, the scouts I talked to in, in regard to the time were saying, oh, this guy's definitely going to throw hard uh, because, yeah, he's not, you know, we typically think of projectable pitcher. We think, all right, you know, 6'3", six, 6'4", six, guy who, you know, weighs 180 pounds or so and then has room to, to fill out. Uh, you know, with, with Espinosa, it was more his, his arm speed was so good and he does it so free and easy, and he's he's, he's still you know has a had a thin frame at the time, and it's still fairly thin. Uh, but you could just 
feet and, and long arms to a lot of physical indicators that even though he wasn't very tall would suggest this guy's going to throw harder in the future. Now, I don't know that anybody I talked to thought he was going to be throwing 100 miles an hour uh, less than uh, less than a year after he signed, uh, but that's exactly what happened. Now he's you know sitting mid-90s, reg- regularly getting into the upper 90s, topping out at 100. Uh, the curveball uh, definitely looks like it's going to be a, a plus pitch. Uh, needs some more consistency to it, but now the changeup has is, is come along. I mean, you know, how many high school... Uh, you know, in high, high school seniors right now have uh, have a changeup uh, already like his. There really aren't that many. There's some guys that think the changeup is even more advanced than the breaking ball right now. So and you're talking about a guy with, with a chance for three plus or, or better pitches. I mean, the, the fastball is already better than plus, and you know, still free and easy delivery. Does it pretty clean, and and he's you know a really advanced feel for pitching too. I mean, there's there were seven guys in the Gulf Coast League this year uh, who touched 100 miles an hour, and most of them are are still more thrower than pitcher. Mm-hmm. And yeah, obviously Espinosa still has you know he's got to tighten up his his fastball command and, and things like that. But this is a guy who's uh, got feel for pitching well beyond his year. It's not like he's just somebody who's Who's going up there and, and lighting up the gun? This is a guy who's out there thinking and uh, you know has an understanding of how to attack hitters and how to mix and, and match pitches. Uh, you know, there, he did have the, the stress fracture in his elbow uh, before he signed, so you know that's got to be always a concern in the back of your mind anytime you're, you're talking about a guy who's going to be an ace, uh, which which he has a chance to be. Durability is a big part of that equation, so uh, it's, it's always something to a little wrinkle just to keep uh, in the back of your mind, but. Obviously, since then he's added a you know a good six miles an hour to his fastball. Uh, there's not much more you can ask for from uh, from a 17 year old pitcher. Yeah, I mean, that, I think you, you you hit the nail on the head in a lot of ways. With you know when you look at and and Josh Norris had taken some video of him down in the Gulf Coast League um, this summer. When you look at the arm action, that it's it's explosive and and. To think that he's he's only 17 and just getting this velocity now, it, it just it's a very clean arm action. There is some some length in the back to it, but just in terms of how explosive out front he is. Um, no, in terms of like, I guess you know you deal all the time with with Latin prospects or guys who are 16 or 15 or 16 years old who are coming in, you know whether they're they're coming into the states for the first time or not. Is there any science at all? Is there any anything that that would have indicated this is going to happen sooner or later to you in your mind for Espinoza in particular? No, it's and it, yeah, it's tough because he's. I mean, remember Espinoza's from Venezuela, so originally they had him. They started him out in the Dominican Summer League, uh, which is a I would say a very conservative assignment given uh, his talent level. But but the Red Sox did the same thing when uh, with Rafael Devers. Mm-hmm. After they signed him, even though he was the most advanced uh, bat in, uh, in his international signing class, so uh, I'm not not surprised that they did that. But but at the same time, yeah, you know, you know, he's going to the Dominican Republic. The language is not going to be a barrier over there. But you're, you're talking about a 17 year old kid who's, who's away from home uh, for an extended period of time for the first time in his life in, in a foreign country uh, in the Dominican Republic. Then they bring him over. Uh, to the states midway through the GCL season, 
Uh, so now he's in a, another foreign country uh, for the first time, and he's 17 years old. I mean, he, just, you know, you take the average U.S. high school kid, not even talking baseball, just a, an average college student. Uh, think about them who's, who's a year older than Espinosa, and they're going to, you know, they're just going to college for the first time. They're not even going to a, a foreign country. A lot of them aren't even leaving the state. And uh less <laughs> playing professional baseball. Yeah. Yeah, they're, and a lot of them are, are flunking out of school their their mm-hmm. first semester or they're just not getting good you know, they're you know, A students the rest of their, their college uh, you know, career or college uh, tenure, whatever you want to call it, and, and their first semester they're uh, either flunking out or, or they're getting C you know, a C average or, or worse <laughs> just because they're in a new environment and they're you know, they're, they're just getting adjusted to a new routine and, and a lot of new things are going on. You know, you put this kid in, in two different foreign countries, one of which he, he doesn't even speak the language. Now, you know, on the baseball field that, you know, gets minimized somewhat, but uh, there's a lot of outside things that, that go on when you're in that environment. So for him to, uh, you know, to keep everything uh, under control uh, is, a, is a testament, you know, to his talent and also just to his... Uh, uh, his makeup as well, which I, I only hear uh, great things about. It. In fact, I think he actually graduated from uh, uh, from high school as well, too. Uh, so in the midst of all this, he's uh, he, he's got a lot going on, and uh, he, he handled it about as, as well as you can imagine. Yeah, I mean, he's he's look. I think it's very clear that he was the most exciting guy in this league. I mean, you know, there's guys who throw a hundred, but there's not a whole lot of guys who do it at 17 and have a have the potential for a plus breaking ball and some feel for a changeup. It's just when you, it's one thing on top of the other. But, uh, but to move on a little bit, there's there's some guys who who had some crossover uh, between between your between the Gulf Coast League and either the the New York Penn League or or in in my case the Appy League. Um, you ended up going with Victor Robles at number two. Um, so, I mean, I guess in, we, we talked a little bit, Mike Lanana and I talked earlier about Robles and kind of the explosive nature of his tools. Was he a difficult one to rank ahead of guys like Kyle Tucker and Daz Cameron for you? Or or in your mind, was he, he very clearly ahead of those guys? No, I think, you know, it's funny because Espinosa, you know, we put him number one, it's it wasn't too difficult of a decision to put him number one, but mm-hmm. I, you know, I've done the GCL list for the past few years, and you know, a guy like Victor Robles, who I, I think is—he's definitely a top 100 prospect. I think he's got a good chance to be a top 50 prospect uh, mm-hmm. as well. I mean, you don't see—you know, this is an 18-year-old kid who just completely dominated the GCL, goes up to the New York Penn League and dominates there too, and it's like you said, explosive dynamic tools. I mean, most years, this is a guy who I would pretty clearly put as the number one prospect in the list, uh, on the GCL list. So mm-hmm. uh, this is another guy who you're trying to kind of poke holes in and see, all right, well, what, what are the weaknesses? And, and there really aren't too many uh, for, for someone who's his age, just a, an explosive player who's a, an outstanding center fielder. He's a, he's a 70 runner with a 70 arm. Uh, you know, he's still young enough and has that uh, lean frame where he might even get stronger. And, and even with that, might come a, a little bit more speed. Not that you would necessarily count on that or, or that he even needs it. 
Uh, he covers plenty of ground in, in center field. He's a, a base stealing threat. He's he's just one of the most aggressive, high energy players in the game to the point where the Nationals almost are, are trying to, you know, corral it and just use it and harness that energy in, in, the, in a more disciplined way. Sometimes, whether it's you know getting those the, the right jump on a, a stolen base, things like that. Uh, but for for somebody who's that athletic. And, and that already that dynamic in center field, you know, usually when we talk about that kind of a player, usually what we're talking about somebody who maybe is still raw at the plate, but this guy went out and, and dominated. He's got a short, pretty balanced swing, uses lower half level, uh, understands uh, the strike zone and, and recognizes spin already. Uh, you know, the power is mostly gap to gap now, but you, know, you think back to guys like, you know, like Andrew McCutcheon, who, you know, Robles is bigger than. Uh, McCutcheon, uh, he's got more size than, than him, and, uh, you know, those guys don't necessarily show a, a ton of power when they're, uh, 18 years old. Well, you, you know, think five, six, seven years down the road when this guy's in his, you know, mid 20s, you know, I think that power is, is going to be there because the bat speed is there. So, you know, when you stack him up next to, you know, Dad Cameron, who went fourth on the list, you know, I think if you grade him out tool for tool, you know, these guys are both the same age. Pretty similar size. Camera maybe a, a, a little bit bigger, but uh, you know, tool for tool, uh, I think the, the tools are more explosive uh, and great out higher with Robles. And if you just look at performance, which you know, Robles has already has a, you know, he's in his second year of a pro ball. He's used to the routine of pro ball. I, I think that can actually be an advantage for uh, for Latin American players who've already been in the system for. Uh, for a year or two compared to high school players for the same age. Uh, but, but clearly the performance, uh, between the, the GCL and then, and then moving up to, uh, the New York Penn League outshines where, uh, what Cameron was doing. So, mm-hmm. you know, when I stacked those two guys up, I, I like that Cameron quite a bit. Uh, but to me, it was, it was a pretty easy call putting, uh, putting Robles at, at number two there. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, the, the edge in terms for for Robles, I mean, it, Cameron is a you know a sum of his parts kind of guy, and he's he's coming up on nineteen, and you know he's he's older than Robles by you know six months or so, um, you know he's he's got some some feel and some instincts, but he doesn't have that kind of explosiveness that you're talking about with with Robles in terms of you know arm strength, speed. He he really does it all. Um, and one thing I wanted to point out is on our site, uh, Ben has a, a write-up. Um, obviously, he's got all his, his reports from the Gulf Coast League, but uh, Ben went to go see him in August, get, went to go see Victor Robles uh, down in Connecticut. So if you go on our site and, and search for Victor Robles, you could find you know, a full article uh, you know, kind of chronicling his rise. Um, but Ben, you know, some of the, the, the back half of, of this list there's some ceiling guys, some guys who have exciting tools. Uh, who for you was, was somebody you were kind of excited to write about or as you got into doing the write-up, kind of you started to like even more? Yeah, this is one of the deepest lists for a complex league list. This is about as deep as it gets. I mean, the last draft pick on the list was Desmond Lindsay, mm-hmm. uh, who was uh, you know the 53rd overall pick, uh, second-round pick, so... Uh, you know, <laughs> there were a lot of guys who, who I liked who I couldn't even put on the list. And then basically saying that everybody who made the top 20 is on par with a, a top 50 or so draft pick, a, an early second round pick or higher. 
I think it was like eight first round picks. Mm-hmm. Um, but but uh, you know the Cardinals every year they just come up with guys like uh, you know Sandy Alcantara and, and Junior Fernandez, two starting pitchers they had throwing a hundred miles an hour, and then mm-hmm. Alcantara takes up to uh, up to a hundred and two. Uh, just two huge, huge arms, actually out of the same program, uh, run by uh, Felix Lariano in the Dominican Republic, and, and Alcantara, you know, he's a, a little bit older, but I think, uh, there, and there was some split about just talking to, to different scouts, who would you take, Alcantara or, or Fernandez? Uh, I think in general, there were, there were more guys who leaned toward Alcantara, just as a, a better chance to... Uh, to stay as a starter, uh, like a, like a Michael Pineda sized guy almost with, uh, just a power fastball, uh, feel for his, his off speed stuff and, uh, you know, a, a pretty solid strike thrower too for somebody who is pretty long lever and then has actually grown taller <laughs> since he signed when he was just, uh, a gangly underweight kid who was, uh, you know, throwing up to, to 92 at the time. Uh, but he's, you know, I think he's got a chance to be a mid-rotation starter or, uh, or maybe better. And then you have Junior Fernandez, who, you know, there's some guys that like Fernandez more than Alcantara, partly because, you know, you know like he's he six mid-90s up to 100 miles an hour. Uh, but his changeup is uh, a potential 70 pitch. It's, uh, you know, you know, really keeps his arm speed on it and great movement on the pitch too. You know, the breaking ball is, is going to be key for him. He, he doesn't really have uh, much of one right now. I uh, went from a curveball to a slider. That's uh, still a below-average pitch, but, you know, we're talking about somebody who's still 18 years old. You, you hope he can maybe develop a little bit more of a, a wrinkle in that slider uh, or, or that the fastball and, and changeup are good enough for him to uh, uh, to go through a lineup uh, multiple times. But uh, there's other guys that look at him and say, this guy could be a uh, kind of a dominant late-inning reliever, too. So, you know, two two big arms that really exploded for uh, for the Cardinals this year out of the Dominican Republic. Yeah, that's 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 pretty exciting. And, and I think that's one cool element, of, you know, of us doing these these leagues is kind of finding those, those guys who are about to be, you know, in the consideration for the top prospect lists. You know, the guys who are – who – or taking that jump from whether it's 17 to 18 or, you know, being, you know, stateside for the first time who are, are really showing new stuff. Um, and we talk about a guy who's throwing upper nineties gas with a, a plus plus changeup. That's just, those guys do not grow on trees. That's, that's exciting for, for Fernandez for sure. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, it's a pretty fascinating. I remember, I remember seeing him at his, uh, at one of his big tryouts when he was in the Dominican Republic as an amateur player. And he was, mm-hmm. I think he's up to like 93 miles. He was 17 years old. He had moved there from, uh, he's living in Miami at, at uh, previously. And, uh, you know, for a couple different reasons, he, he moved down to the Dominican Republic, uh, with his family. And, and he ended up, uh, this is a kid who was, Barely pitching for his junior varsity team uh, in high school, and, and now all of a sudden his fastball was jumping up. But he was up to 93 at the time, and uh, overthrowing into uh, thrown into a cage with about probably I don't know 100 or so scouts there, maybe maybe a little less than that. But everybody is like lined up about 10 rows deep behind him, and he just looked like he was overthrowing and then a, you know, a little out of control. 
very erratic with his command. Uh, but it's, you know, for him to, to jump up that quickly uh, with his stuff, and, and now he's, he's throwing more strikes, too. He's obviously got to tighten up the command of the fastball. Uh, and he's got to, like we were talking about, work on the breaking ball, too. But uh, it's cool to see how, how quickly he's been able to develop uh, that, that, that fastball and, and, and the control, too, in a, in a pretty short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, Ben, one, I'll give you one, you know, we'll go actually, actually a couple more questions, but, um, you know, in terms of guys who, who aren't on the list, uh, some guys who are maybe close, was there anybody who, who, as you were putting this together, you know, that, who was in that, you know, that 21 to 25 range who you really wanted to rank, but they just didn't stack up, you know, just compared to the, the other 20? Yeah, I mean, there were a bunch of guys this year, uh, you know, mm-hmm. going into it, I figured, all right, Ali Sanchez, the best catcher, this guy should be a lot for the list, uh, guy who, and, and it's not like the reports on him were, uh, knocked out his, uh, <laughs> the evaluation of him or, or his grade or anything like that. It's just the, the overall impact quality of the league. I mean, you put this guy in the draft, I think he's, he's got a good chance to be a, a second round pick if he's, if he's a, kid in the draft this year. He's a kid they signed out of Venezuela, uh, 18-year-old kid they signed out of Venezuela. We signed when he was 16. He's 18 now, but uh, signed for $690,000 a couple of years ago. Uh, one of the top catchers on the market at the time, and uh, he's continued to, to show why the, the Mets were so high on him, just glowing reviews for his defense. Just an extremely advanced catch-and-throw guy. You watch him throw to second, maybe, uh, just between innings and the arm strength doesn't capture your eye because it's not a, you know, it's not a big time Christian Bencourt type arm where it's going to jump out to you immediately, but his footwork and his exchange uh, are so quick that he's still getting pop times in the, you know, the one nines and, and even lower than that. And he brought all just close to half of uh, base runners this year. Uh, he already gets, you know, high marks for the way he calls a game. Uh, and his leadership behind the play, the way he blocks and uh, can catch and throw very soft hands behind the play. And, you know, it's not just a, a defense-only guy. This is a guy who, you know, has a, a knack for making contact, kind of an inside-out swing. So you can, you know, he's got some holes uh, up and in where you can beat him right now, but he doesn't have too much power. But for a guy who's, who's that advanced defensively and does have some feel for hitting and, and knowledge of the strike zone, uh, the, the defense alone is going to keep him around for, he, he's going to get a lot of opportunities to, to figure the bat out. And it's not like he's a zero with the bat either. I mean, it's, it's a, right. it's a solid bat. Uh, it's just that the defense is, is, is more advanced right now. Any, any catcher with that kind of defense is going to get a lot of opportunities to, uh, to stick around and, and let the offensive, uh, side develop. So I, I think he's got a chance to be at least a backup catcher and, and potentially, uh, a pretty good everyday uh, guy as well. So, you know, whether it's leaving off a guy like him or, or Logan Allen, uh, the Red Sox uh, left-hander this year who's, you know, excellent command, very good numbers, and, uh, you know, the Red Sox were, were restricted his workload pretty good, but um, so he didn't have to go through a lineup multiple times. But, I mean, the Red Sox had all sorts of arms between him and, and Gerson Bautista lighting up the radar gun uh, to Jesus and, and Raudez coming over. Uh, you know, from uh, from Nicaragua and, and Venezuela, uh, and, and pitching well for for them also. 
uh, a lot of a lot of good arms with Logan Allen is a you know three pitch lefty. He's got a you know got a chance to be a mid rotation starter. So yeah, definitely a lot of uh, a lot of good talent that uh, didn't make this list, but you're you're going to see them in the the prospect camper for sure. Yeah, the, yeah the, those guys are exciting too. I mean, they're the you know these these lists are kind of a you know a snapshot, obviously, and we you know. There's, I mean, I found it was difficult for me to, to rank only 20 guys. I had you know, about 50 guys that I had thought about, at least in one way or another, and, and I didn't didn't exactly line them all up. But you know, you know, it, was, it became clear as I started to write profiles on these guys, you know, who the the top guys really were. Um, how many guys would you say were in consideration, or guys you kind of looked at or looked into a little bit more and thought, hey, maybe this is a top 20 guy? Um, I mean, and so uh, there's there's a ton of guys on the list. Yeah, probably probably 50 or so guys uh, whose whose names came up. Uh, at the end of it, you can sort of see, all right, well, you know, maybe guys who were in that, you know, between 15 and, and 30, the the talent level sort of flattens out. The guys at the uh, at the top of the list sort of separate themselves, and, and the deeper you go. Uh, the flatter the the gap is between, or the smaller the gap is between the guy who is, you know, number twenty and number thirty versus the guy who's uh, number ten versus number twenty. Although this year in, in the GCL it was uh, it, it was pretty stacked too. So mm-hmm. um, you know, if, if I had gone you know thirty deep or so, I, I'd still be writing up guys who uh, who I do like quite a bit and, and think have uh, have some breakout potential. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it, just the nature of these these leagues is is there's so many exciting players who, you know, there's there's pretty you know there's pretty low floors, but there's really high ceilings. So it's 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 certainly uh, difficult to leave guys off. But Ben, uh, thanks for thanks for doing this. Uh, if you guys wanna wanna read Ben's reports, you can go on baseballamerica.com. If you're a subscriber, you can have you have access to those reports. If you're not a subscriber, go to baseballamerica.com/slash subscribe, and and you can subscribe for as little as nine ninety five a month. Uh, ben, thanks for doing this, and uh, yeah, really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And now we'll wrap the podcast up with a quick discussion of the Appy League, a short season league with eight teams in it. A pretty solid league this year. Uh, I ranked the league and I, I put together the scouting reports on the players and organized that. And I was, you know, I, I talked a little bit of, about this with Ben earlier that, you know, I I personally struggled to find, to fit, you know, all, all those guys in there that I really wanted to rank. At the end of the day, it's a top 20 for a reason. You can only rank 20 guys. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of exciting players who, who didn't make the list, um, but you know, to, to kind of first start us off, the the number one prospect in the league is is Kyle Tucker, uh, a guy who he's the younger brother of Preston Tucker, Astros rookie this year, uh, coming from uh, Plant High School in Tampa. Really, really, really interesting bat profile. A good a chance to hit, a chance to do it with a lot of power. Uh, this is a guy who could be, you know, if everything breaks right, you know, could be a middle of the order kind of hitter, um, athletic in the outfield. Not sure if he he fits in center field, uh, but even if he doesn't, that the bat it's going to play. And you know, he was 
he had taken so much time off from the end of his high school season. Uh, season ended in April, uh, I believe earlier, mid-April. And so he had so much time off before the draft, much less actually getting onto the field. And and so, you know, he had, he had taken all that time off, and then he came back and performed pretty well, you know, considering. Uh, and, and towards the end of the season, especially, you know, in the playoffs, 9 for 24, hitting, hitting with power, looked like he belonged. And, you know, if you were going to ask anybody, okay, who was the, the number five overall pick in the draft? Just looking at this field, it was, was obviously him. Uh, so, you know, a, a solid start to his pro career. Going to be really a lot of fun to watch to see how he matures physically. Uh, right now he's a pretty wiry guy, uh, you know, but certainly has the tools. So he'll be fun to watch. You know, coming in right after him was Austin Riley, the 41st overall pick in the 2015 draft, uh, Braves draft pick, uh, playing, splitting his, his pro debut in the Gulf Coast League and uh, the Appy League with, with Danville. This guy was just very, very impressive to do what he did as an 18-year-old in that league, uh, in a league with a lot of players who who are either you know, accustomed to professional baseball or who have played college baseball very recently and you know, kind of you know, understand it and get it and are used to the, the level of competition. He goes in there at 18 years young and rakes, and you know he made adjustments well. Uh, his body had gotten into you know it was in much better shape this spring than it had been in you know, in previous years as an amateur, and so you know now it looks like there's a chance he could stick at third base. Uh, not not necessarily a guarantee by any means. Um, you know it'll be interesting. You know he'll have to keep his body in check and continue to. To work hard, but the the indications are that his makeup is very good. He's a hardworking guy. He's a very coachable player, uh, so he was very exciting. Um, certainly one of the the players in this draft class who is who has raised his stock uh, from the the point of the you know from June on. Uh, so he's going to be a fun one to follow in the Brave system. Um, you know, then the next guy I would like to to kind of talk about a little bit would be uh, Albert Abreu from the Astros, uh, one of the more exciting prospects uh, in the league, just in terms of a guy who who can check off a lot of boxes. This is a guy who has an electric fastball, who, you know, even the, the evaluators I talked to, the lowest velocities I was getting was, oh, he's 93 to 95, touching 97, touch 98. Um, you know, I have heard up to 99 on him. Um, but it's more than just a, a power fastball. This is a guy who has a couple different breaking balls and has a, a really, really good changeup. Um, kind of not sure what's going to happen with him in terms of which breaking ball he's ultimately going to going to go with and really pursue and try to develop as a, an out pitch for him. Um, but it's flashing. You know, it has some some bite to it. He can spin the baseball. Um, you know, 19, 20 years old, that that age, um, to have those raw tools. That's that's a very good start, you know. At this point, it's a matter of developing consistency, developing stamina, you know, getting you know, continuing to adjust to a professional lifestyle. Uh, but certainly, a really exciting prospect for the Astros, and uh, they just keep getting them. <laughs> they they've have an, a, an exciting system, and uh, you know, Ben Badler and I talked about it a little bit earlier on the podcast. It's just uh, 
they just keep restocking. Uh, so, um, you know, th- those were some of the guys at the top who were particularly exciting to me. Um, you know, like like I said earlier, you can go on the site and and read the reports on these guys. There there are interesting guys between them. Um, you know, Daz Cameron was very interesting as a you know some of his parts kind of guy who has a lot of different ways to beat you. Uh, and then you know Jermaine Palacios, the shortstop prospect with you know some big, big time upside with the bat. Um, had one source tell me he's you know, he's right there with uh, with Nick Gordon in terms of the twin system. Very different skill set, but you know he's in that same mold in terms of prospect status. So an exciting prospect for the Twins. Um, and you know towards towards the back of this list, uh, there there were were definitely interesting guys. I mean, uh, Carlos Munoz was one of the better hitters in the entire league. I mean, just in terms of raw performance, um, you know, and he's, he's not, he's, it's, it's, it's kind of an interesting body. He's, he's 5'11". He's, he's thick. Um, but he's, he's a very good hitter. He, he sees the ball well. He has a, a mature approach, very good understanding of the strike zone. He's on time. He has power. He's got a lot of power. Um, and so, you know, for him, it's going to be a matter of, you know, keeping his body in check and proving himself as he climbs the ladder. You know, he had, he's always had the raw power, but it, it finally started to show up in game this summer, you know, in Bristol. So the, the he's a Pirates prospect. You know, if he's, he is a first baseman at this point, so there's a lot of pressure on the bat to perform, uh, but the results were good. This year, and you know, this is his first time off a complex, uh, and he 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 played so well that you know after the season was over in Bristol, he went to the New York Penn League for a little over a week as the season came to a close, uh, as the minor league season came to a close, I should say. Um, but you go you go look at his numbers and and his tools. I mean, this is a guy who has a chance. Um, he you know, like I said, he's gonna have to prove it. Uh, but you know, left-handed hitter with with tools offensively, uh, so he was an exciting one. Uh, one guy who I, you know, I, I wish I could have ranked uh, towards the back. He just was a, a guy who was was just close, but not you know not quite there uh, in terms of the twenty. Uh, probably would have been number twenty-one for me. Uh, was Ronnie Williams, uh, Cardinals pitching prospect, uh, athletic guy coming out of Florida a couple years ago, high school guy. Um, in that system, second rounder in 2014, uh, good changeup, projectable body, um, very good, uh, you know, understanding of how to use his body, uh, breaking ball. He has a curveball that you know flashes a little bit. Uh, doesn't really have the consistency you want yet, um, but he's 19 years young. He's doing it in a non-complex league. Pitching mostly, mostly with an average fastball, even you know, even into that fourth, fifth inning, holding velocity pretty well, um, and just you know, from what I understand and what I gather from sources, is this is a guy who's maturing well, who's taking well to professional baseball, understands the routine, you know, has the makeup to succeed. Um, so you know, you kind of you know that that gives you a sense that there's maybe something more. You know, maybe he does actualize those tools a little bit 
Maybe he does continue to, to build consistency. He's certainly going in the right direction as a prospect. So uh, he's he's one that you know would have been nice to rank. Um, you know, in you know if they're depending upon how the guys in front of him, if they would have shaken out differently, you know he would have been in consideration for sure. Definitely a prospect. Uh, but you know I could go on and on about about these guys. Um, you know what I would suggest is go on our site. If you're a subscriber, you have access to the reports. Uh, if you're not a subscriber, uh, I was, would strongly recommend doing it now because the this is just our first week of league top 20s rolling out. Uh, next next week we'll get into low A, we'll get into high A, uh, double A, and you know start to really look at you know where the these guys who are a little bit closer to the big league scene where they rank in relation to each other in the in those leagues. So um, you know not only where they rank but why they rank there. So if you're a subscriber, you can check that out. You can go on our site and read those reports. If not, go to baseballamerica.com slash subscribe. Uh, you can go subscribe for $9.95 a month, and there's there's plenty of other options there if you want to subscribe longer. We'd love to have you. Uh, but for, for with that, I think, uh, I think we're going to call it a podcast. And uh, thanks for downloading, and thanks for listening. I know we went pretty long, but uh, yeah, thanks. Appreciate it, guys. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.